Well, good morning, North Shore. Good to see you. Bruce, yes, we need you. Now, you have an extra hour of sleep, okay? It probably throws you off. So 9 a.m., but I expect you a little more juice this morning, okay? Is that fair enough? Here we go. Next week, we can back into our rhythms, right? Again, I want to acknowledge our online family. I love you. There's a bunch of you out there. As we're here at 9 a.m., it's a little thinner in our 9 a.m. services in here, but it's packed online, and we love you, so we are gathered together here and there, and I am excited. I'm excited to continue our series in our vision and our mission. Now, we are starting to wind down, and I pray and I hope that it's been edifying to you, something that stirred things in your heart and your lives, because I do believe this, that it is going to be life-giving for the kingdom of God and his work for the future here at North Shore. And so let me just do a quick review. Um, we started with our motto, or our compelling snapshot, of hope changes everything. And I'm going to guess you know something's coming up Tuesday. Something that could use a whole lot of hope. Amen? Come on, I'm talking about the election, right? Um, so we know, as believers, this will be a week. We could just hold the banner that hope changes everything, and that hope is one person, one name, and that's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, right? That's where we're at, okay? Hope changes everything. And so in that hope changes everything, our vision is this. It's to see our communities, our communities, wherever you are in the name of Jesus, to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. We're going to invest in the lives of another person through the power and work of Jesus Christ in us and through us. And then how are we going to see that vision? How are we going to see it through? We called it our mission path, and we, we didn't really know what, so we called it the mile markers, what the path. And that first mile marker was to passionately pursue Jesus with our whole heart going after the one and only who is worthy, Jesus Christ. And it's from that place of Jesus' work in our lives begins to overflow into the other elements in our mission. And that is to radically, radically love one another. An uncommon love only seen in Jesus. And if we are found in Jesus, could be found in us. You with me? To radically love one another. And to compassionately serve from those deep places in our heart because we understand what Jesus did for us, that in turn we step that into others and we compassionately serve our neighbors. And today we're going to look at the, the final mile marker of our mission. And mile marker four we called it. And that is to relationally disciple all people. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 28. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20, focused in on verses 19 and 20. While you turn to Matthew 28, let me pray. Father, we love you. And this is your time. We offer ourselves to you. I pray that you'd speak to us. That each one of us would just be vessels of your spirit and that you would do your good work in our lives. As always, Father, I pray that you would knit our hearts together with yours, with one another, and that you would do a good work in each of our lives. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at Matthew 28, it's a portion of scriptures that we have called the Great Commission. Uh, you've heard, if you've been on church you know, much, you know and, uh, about this is the commissioning, the sending out by Jesus. And it's Jesus, just to give you a little background. This is about 40 days after Jesus, his resurrection, and he's appearing to his followers. And this is kind of the last huddle up of what we know as the apostles. Now, it's only 11 now. So he huddles them up. Says, okay, guys, all authority's been given to me. Hopefully you're starting to get that. And here's what I want you to be about. Here's what I'm going to send you to do. So let's read together Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of the, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission. Each one of you is here because of that Great Commission. You're here because somebody stepped into this Great Commission. See, we see this Great Commission. It wasn't just for these apostles. If you continue to read the Scripture in the New Testament, you watch God's followers fulfilling this, being about this. And we're here because of it. Through the centuries, people obeying this command and stepping in. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a closer look at our calling to relationally disciple all people. We're going to kind of break apart just that statement. And I want to start with disciple. And I want to ask two questions of it. What is a disciple? And how does a disciple grow? So what is a disciple? That is a word that's typically used in church. You use that outside this church, they're going to look at you a little, hmm? But I think one of the best pictures of what a disciple is, is an apprentice. How many of you have ever had on-the-job training where someone trained you? Kind of most of us, okay? And I've had that, all of us have had that, so you kind of know what that's like. But there's also a formal thing called an apprenticeship. Now, I've never had that formal training like that, but one of my friends, one of our pastors, Rick had. So I, I went and talked to Rick about just to better understand apprenticeship in our context. You see a picture of Pastor Rick, one of our community pastors. Now, Rick uh, is a retired iron worker, okay? And so what he did before he was in full-time ministry is he spent an entire career down in Southern California scaling these steel structures. I've got pictures of him eight, nine, ten stories up, climbing beams, and this. And so and to become an iron worker, you have to go through an apprenticeship. And how that works, he says, says the first thing you have to accept the job. Say, yep, I accept that. And then they assign you to a journeyman. And a journeyman is somebody that is a master in the skill or trade or craft that you need to learn. So they partner you with a journeyman. 
And then they take you through a season of growth where you watch them. You actually even go to classes. You learn conversations. And eventually they allow you to do it while they watch you. And you grow. And in the iron workers apprenticeship, they had six different phases that you had to go through doing this with a journeyman. And it all lands in this place where you, yourself, become a journeyman. So Rick became a journeyman for 25 years. Then he, in turn, got to pour into other apprentices trying to become iron workers. So that's what an apprenticeship is. Well, Jesus, he has his style of apprenticing. We see in Matthew 4.19. And the scene is this. Jesus is walking on the shore of Galilee. He comes across some men fishing. And he says this to them. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, this wasn't the first time Jesus was around these people. This wasn't some cold call. They'd been around him. They knew about him. And he came up and he gave that call, follow me to them. And you have to understand the significance of that call. Okay, for a Jewish boy, one of the greatest honor, what you would hope for is that you would get this call from a rabbi to follow me. They called it the rabbinical call. And how you got to be called by a rabbi is a Jewish boy would go to school when he's just a little one. And when they're really little, they would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. And if they did really good, the best of the best, they'd let them take the next step in their education. Everyone else went back home and started learning the family trade. And that was going to be their rhythm of life. But the best got to go to the next level of school. Up till they're about 12 years old, 13 years old. And they had learned the entire Old Testament. Memorized. <laughs> We're working on one verse, right? John 3, 16, what? The whole Old Testament, okay? And then, the best of the best. The best, the Rhodes Scholars, if you would would wait and hopefully be selected by a rabbi. And that rabbi would call, come, follow me, walk with me. Walk with me. Let me teach you. Let me show you. So, for Jesus' apprenticeship, when he says, come follow me to men that were fishing, are you with me right now? Have you tracked with this story? They weren't the elite. They weren't the superstars. They were common people, everyday people. That's the call of Jesus. It's to everybody, not the special. You are special because of him, not because of what you do. And he says, come, follow me. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. Does he say, come and just work your tail off, figure it out? No. You're going to grow, but guess what? I'm going to do the work. What you have to do is allow me to and accept the work that I have and will do in you. So it's not about you working your tail off to get his approval. He says, I'm going to do the work. 
Sometimes I think it's more difficult than by the sweat of your brow, right? It's a surrender of your spirit. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to change what you're doing. You're going to do what I'm doing. I'm going to send you out. This is what a disciple is. It's somebody that is committed to following, to being changed and being on mission with Jesus. Let you fill those in. What is a disciple? A disciple is a person who is committed to following, being changed, and being on mission with Jesus. We call it discipleship. Jesus' apprenticeship is called discipleship, making disciples who ultimately will make disciples. So the question is, how does a disciple grow? In verse 19 and 20, he, he shows us. And what you're going to see is that a disciple grows starting in, in our head. And then it moves into our heart. And ultimately it finds its way in our hands. He calls them, go and make disciples. So how a disciple will grow is when you have that interaction, that encounter with Jesus in whatever fashion or form, typically a person coming into your life. It starts with you. Your growth is accepting that. It's saying yes to Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And then ultimately continuing to say yes to his ongoing growing of you. It's saying yes is how we grow. It starts in our head. Then it sinks down into our heart. He says, go therefore and baptize them. As he's telling them how they're going to go make disciples. And remember, baptism is really an outward expression of inward transformation. Your heart is being changed. You are changing from the inside out. And baptism is stepping before your community and saying, I'm with Jesus. Something's happening deep in my life, and I'm changing. And I'm here to bear witness to that. That's what baptism is. So we see there's a change happening, a transformation. And Romans 8, 29 tells you what that change is. You're changing into the likeness of Jesus. We're changing. We're getting the mind of Christ. We're getting the heart of Christ. We're getting the characteristics, the character of Christ. And it begins to stir in our heart. And this change happens in our life. And ultimately it comes out in our life. He says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So Jesus says, I'm going to pour myself in. They're going to grow and change. And ultimately, they're going to align with me as their mind, their heart, and their, their character is Christ-like. Simply is, they're going to do what Jesus does. What is important to Jesus becomes important to them. Our values and the expression of those change. That's how a disciple grows, from the head, the heart, to your activities. So let's keep going. So that's what a disciple is. So what is Jesus' aim? Who? Okay, good. So that's what a disciple is. He's going to send us. He's going to send all of us. But who is he going to send us to? He says, there. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. And what we see here, we see Jesus express his heart. He doesn't say, go and make disciples of people just like you. Is that kind of jarring to hear that? Because you know it's so counter to the characteristic of Jesus. No, what he says is, go make disciples of all nations. He's doing something radical here. Radical. Because in Matthew 10, he sends these same people out. But he says this to them. Do not go to the Samaritans. Do not go to the Gentiles. Only go to the Jewish people. He sends them to one nation. But he does something here. He expands the calling. He's blowing their minds. He says, I want you to go to all nations. I want everybody to hear this gospel message. It is for all people, and I'm sending you to them. Jesus wants all people saved. That's his desire. Now, does he call you to all people? The answer is no. He calls you to the people he calls you to. You with me? So I don't want you to get this sense of being overwhelmed. Now, you go to the people God calls you, but I'm going to tell you this. He's going to call you to all nations, meaning people different than you. And so, I mean, we could go on and on about this aspect, but I want to point out some people groups that are often overlooked in churches. And I'm kind of going off my own experience. Could beat you here, but something that's been on my heart since I've been called to this position as lead pastor, some things I invite you just to ponder and think with me of different people groups that we've got to be mindful of. The first group are people who don't know Jesus. People who don't know Jesus. See, the first step in discipleship, in making a disciple, is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody who doesn't know it. Often overlooked in church discipleship programs. It starts with, and it's a long word called evangelism. Simply means sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. It's important because God wants the kingdom to grow. But it's really difficult. It's difficult because a lot of times we don't understand. A lot of times they're in our own homes and houses and there's a great relational risk with sharing the gospel with somebody. But it's important. So I want to encourage us, North Shore, to be an inviting church. I didn't say invite people to church. I want you to do that, right? If the Lord has it, I love this place packed and full 20 services every Sunday, right? Yeah, that sounds tough, okay. Um, that wasn't a prayer alert. <laughs> but the point was this. I want us to be an inviting church. That means we invite people into the relationship with Jesus that we have. Say, come, I want to show you, take a journey with you, point to it. That might be inviting them into a relationship. Inviting them to your life group. An event. Maybe this, whatever. I want us to be an inviting church because of the gospel is so important. And God's called you to be an ambassador to that. I also want us to be an equipping church for sharing your faith. And we have two great opportunities, biblical foundations, where you're going to learn 
more and more about our scriptures so you have more confidence because confident people share their faith. But also, like, what do I share? I don't know. We are starting um, a new program here called Evangelism Explosion. Okay, I want you to watch when we advertise it. But that's just a class where we get to come together and learn how to share our faith so that we are equipped so you can, again, go out with confidence to share your faith. Pick up the pace here. All right, people of all generations. People of all generations. It's important. We also are called to pass our faith on to the generations coming behind us. And we have a national crisis of young people leaving the church. So when my eyes look out here and see you young, early 20s right there. See, yes, represent. Um, uh, I'm proud of you. You know, really, as your pastor, because um, I know you're going against the grain in your culture and society. Uh, so we're proud of you. And we want to be a church that is home to you. What keeps kids holding on and not quitting church is when church is a family. And that means we have to give grace and allow them in. So I, you know, we have great programming with Tyler, uh, Sandy. Um, you know, we have a seniors ministry now. We started, you know, I don't know, about a year ago. or uh, With Paul, family ministries, we have a team there. Um, we have a great staff that's pouring in to di different age groups. But we want to keep getting better. Keep getting better. So this is home. There's no place these younger people and older people can't walk around and say, this is my family. This is my home. And there's one word that we need to live out in order for that to happen. And it's simple but difficult. It's called grace. Because every single demographic age group practices their faith a little different. It looks and sounds different than I would. And I've got to give grace so that feels like home. If I say, no, you conform to what I do, this is the only way. That's where we get into problems, and that's where we segregate by generations. So, North Shore, you're doing a good job. Let's get better. The third people group I, I want to point out is people of all cultures. And one word I have is diversity. In the book of Revelation, John gives us a glimpse of what I believe Jesus wanted his church to look like. This is Revelation 7, 9. And it's John Tell us what he saw in heaven. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, a lot of people, that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, that's Jesus. Come on now, right? Diversity. We need to be a diverse church. I mentioned age, but countries, languages, political views, income levels, education levels, marital statuses, Traditions, customs, uh, yes, and different skin tones. But reaching different cultures is complex and challenging. And we had a speaker speak to our staff, the academy and the church, Pastor Miles McPherson, this past Friday. And some things I learned from him, and I think it's important for us just to think about when we answer the, the call to reach all cultures. He says it starts with seeing. Seeing that every human is made in the image of God. We're the same. We're the same. But here's where it gets complex. We're different. We're different. Right? There's different customs, 
culture, skin tones, languages, past experiences. So we have to do is see our differences too. And in that beauty of same and different, we have to create space for each of us to learn and come together and humble ourselves. And then, and then, we can walk out this kingdom work together. So, Norshire, I want to invite us to be a church that's diverse and seeing as Jesus saw. Because of his great love, Jesus wants all people to be discipled. Let's never forget that. And the last point here is Jesus' approach, and that's relationally. He says, go therefore and make disciples. He's sending them to people. And I'm going to quote a couple of verses from John 17, and that's Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he's arrested and goes to trial, goes to the cross. And so he's praying and he gives us a glimpse into how he goes about it. And we can learn there. It starts with Jesus. In verse 4, John 17, it reads this. And he's praying to the Father. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And it's interesting. What is the completed work of Christ? He says, I've accomplished, I've completed this work. Usually we make reference to that, to his work on the cross for our salvation and his resurrection, his victory over death. Yes, and that is the completed work of Christ. He actually says it is finished, but he also says there's something finished here. And we can see in the context of John 17, what he's referring to is making disciples who can make disciples. He poured into them. And what was Jesus' method? What was Jesus' method? Jesus' method was relationally. That's his aim. Jesus' aim is to come relationally. Now, he did it in different forms. You know, we see him come, and he, he ministered to people he called his disciples, great crowds. We see people that just pass by. You know, he'd heal them, speak a word into them. They'd touch him. These moments, these pass bys he sent out the 72 we see him with 12, right, the apostles. So what we see in disciple-making, relationally, Jesus was always being the light of the world. Always. He never stopped discipling. You with me? He's always reflecting the Father and doing what the Father had him to do. But he also, but he also had deep relationships with a few. Of his 12, there was three. Peter, James, and John that got an entirely different depth of experience. And what we see is incredible growth in them. Verse 18, John 17. Jesus says to God, he goes, as you sent me, the same manner you sent me, so I send them. He sends us in the same manner to go and have relationship, to always be a light of the world. You are never not discipling. Some people may not know why you do what you do, why you say, why you're so kind, why you're so nice, why you serve, why you encourage. Most will, oh yeah, that's the Christian at the office. Yeah, of course, who's helped out? Who's changing that flat tire in the rain? Oh, it's the Christian again. It's because of Jesus. You see where I'm at? You're always making disciples and it has value. But also, but also, 
We need to pour in to a few to have that powerful growth that we see what Jesus did in, in Peter, James, and John. And there's some things I want to look at, the power of relationships and why they're so powerful. Deep relationship proves value. Why does it work? Why does it allow them to grow so deeply? It proves value. Relationships take time. And time is a value statement. If I give you time, that means I value. The more time, the deeper of that time I give you, the more value. And you feel it. You know it. So it proves value. Second, their deep relationships build trust. It builds trust. Because you take that time and then you add experiences of it. Deep experiences. Challenging. Mountaintop kind of experiences. People watch you. They experience life with you. And they begin to trust you. They learn that they can count on you for support and guidance. Because you're there. They know that they're safe with you. And then walls begin to come down. And they reveal more and more to you. It goes to this last point. Deep relationships expose what I call growth points. Growth points. So it proves value. It builds trust and it exposes growth points. And here's what it does. Those walls come down and someone starts sharing the deeper places from who they are. Their fears, their dreams, their hopes, their hurts, their habits. The things that they're wrestling with deep inside that only someone that's safe is going to hear about. You get exposed to where God is working in their life. And then you can take the teachings of Jesus and you can put them right there. Right where he's working in their life. And you'll see incredible growth. I'll tell you a story about a young man. I was the privilege to disciple um, kind of got to know him a little bit. Um, and then in that, getting to know him more, he came up to me and says, hey, will you disciple me? I said, okay. Um, so we'll, let's start meeting. Let's meet two to three hours once a week. Okay, you want me to bring my Bible? I said, no. Just come here and we'll go. And we started going to a coffee shop for week after week after week, talking, talking, talking. And then when those conversations got to a point where People around the coffee shop shouldn't be hearing what we're talking about, right? You know what I mean? I said, hey, let's, let's, now let's drive. So we would, every meeting, we'd drive around and park in the car and talk. And I was watching, waiting, listening. And then a couple subjects came up that I knew the walls came down. The person got vulnerable, deeply vulnerable. I said, okay, hey, next week, bring your Bible. I took the teachings of Jesus and poured it where God was working in his life. Not my prescription. I listened to the Holy Spirit say, what are you doing? Great. My job was to know the scripture, right? <laughs> to say, okay, let me put it right there. And it was incredible. I had people that knew this young man coming up to me. What is going on with this person? What's happening? We've never seen it. We've known him for years. One group said, will you come and talk to us and tell us? Uh, no. <laughs> you know, because um, you know, it's not like that, Right? But that's what relationally discipling all people looks like. I want to invite you into that. Jesus wants to invite you to live 
the Great Commission. Because there's not a more beautiful story ever told than this story of discipleship. This story of a God that loves you so much that he sends his son Jesus to die for you in your place, to go to the grave and three days later rising and to have victory over death, to conquer that foe so that you will never have to lose that fight because he won it. It's beautiful. And then the Savior equips people to come and engage me on this earth to share this beautiful story of what Jesus did in their life and poured into me. And then he allows me to take that beautiful story and tell someone else about it. There is not a more beautiful story in this entire world than discipleship. And he wants us to live the Great Commission. To live the Great Commission. I want to challenge you. Have you humbled yourself and allowed somebody to come into your life and in deep places pour themselves into you? Have you allowed yourself to pour into somebody else? We get to do that. I want to encourage you. Think about that. Many times you already know who God's called you to. Right? It's you're like, nah, man, nah, I'm too, you know, I'm this, just a list of excuses. Who? Who's that person that just keeps hanging around like, ah, oh, man, I know God's called me to give them time. I got to step in. I'm tired of fighting it. I want to share this beautiful story with them. I want us to finish today this way. Because as we look at this beautiful story of the Great Commission, of relationally discipling all people. You are here because someone said yes to that. Every one of you. If you're online, you're there. You're listening to someone talk about Jesus because of somebody. Oftentimes it's a mom, a faithful mom. Grandma, grandpa. Who is it for you? Neighbor, brother, sister, relative. Somebody, some teacher or coach that said yes to it and invested in you. Pastor. Romans 10 says this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It says these feet are beautiful that bring this message to us. And I want us to take a moment a space of prayer and gratitude to say thank you. Thank you that you shared the most beautiful story ever told with me. Your feet are beautiful. And I want to say thank you. So I'm going to encourage you to do something today. Brittany and Mike, they're just going to play some music for a bit before they close in song. I want you to grab this powerful little thing called our what do we call them? They're phones, but we got to change the name. They're not phones anymore, right? Our brains, I don't know. Um, I know I've got two people. I want you to email them, text them, send a message on Facebook, and just say thank you. Thank you. 
It might be in prayer, you know. It might be in prayer. Because, you know, sometimes that person who did that for you is, is, is not here. They're in glory. They might just be in prayer say, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. We also uh, put some posties on postcard, right? You know, if you just, you know, raise your hand up and the ushers are ready. They'll come hand you a postcard. And just jump on it. Write a postcard out. Put that address on. If you give it to an usher, I'll make sure I send it. You can take it home, drop it in the mail today, and I'll go it out tomorrow, right? Live in great gratitude of people who lived the Great Commission. Let's say thank you, church, and let's together, in that space of gratitude, live this Great Commission. All eternity hinges off of it. You with me? It's important. So I'm going to invite you just a moment of prayer. Um, Get your phones out. Send a message. I'm going to go over there and do work, so don't think I'm playing games. Um, uh, And let's do it. North Shore, I love you. And I'm glad to be part of this beautiful story with you.